Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. What a great song that was. Jesus is better. There's a part of me when we, when we have those moments, it's like, why do I need to get up here after that? He is better, even in the Jayhawks, guys, even in the Jayhawks. Keep that in mind. Okay, the Wildcats too. I know some of you are like, yo, that's easy. <laughs> Jack, I see you back there. Okay. I remember moving from the south to the Midwest, 1990, Will Baker, before you were born. And um, like, I thought no one liked me in the Midwest. Because where I grew up, you acknowledge everyone you pass with a greeting. I mean, not in a New Jersey, you know, but there's a great old, by, by the way, if you haven't seen this, there's a great old Bud Light commercial that you got to look up. These, do you know it? These Jersey guys in a bar, have you seen it? Look it up. There's a guy from Texas comes in and they're all walking in this bar one at a time. These Jersey guys are like, hey, how you doing? How you doing? That's, you know, they're like nodding. This, this dude, Riley, wherever you are from, Houston, I think. He's got a big old 10-gallon hat on, cowboy hat. He walks in the bar, and they're like, they all like, hey, how you doing? He goes, fine, I'm doing fine. I just flew in a few hours ago. Y'all got a big airport here. You got the nicest people I've ever seen. And uh, so a couple other guys come in, like, hey, how you doing? They look at him, how you doing? He goes, fine, y'all got a really nice people here. I love your airport. Another guy walks in, the bartender's going, don't, don't ask, don't ask. So that's how I felt, uh, like, wow, really odd here, because I would pass people in the Midwest, and they wouldn't speak, you know? They just, where I grew up, you say hello to everyone that you pass. It doesn't really mean much, but I think there's like a cultural value in it. It's kind of like, I acknowledge you. You're, you're there, you're breathing, you're present. That was, was about as far as it went. But in the Midwest, you know, they don't, they don't really want the cultural niceties. They want a little more depth, so they don't want to just waste their time with that. It's part of why I love the Midwest now, by the way. It's one of those things. But it was really strange. Speaking of greeting, sometimes like a common greeting is, is like, hey, it's good to see you. You ever say that? I mean, it's just a small thing to say. And I remember my, my dad, he kind of being a little cantankerous is partly that. When people say, good to see you, he would always say, it's good to be seen. And, uh, and, and basically what he meant when he was saying that, it was, it's good to be alive. Uh, it's good to be seen. We can say that, good to see you, without really meaning a lot. Uh, or we can say it, and you know, like two old friends hasn't seen each other in a while, and they say, it's really good to see you. you know, maybe you grab each other's hands and say, it's good to see you. Or some people just have that aura about them that like, you know they mean it when they say it. It's like, it's good to see you. I welcome you into my space. And you kind of know when that's happening uh, with some people. It's like, so it's good to be seen by you. I'm grateful to be welcomed in your space. 
Our text today in the Gospel of John is a little bit akin to a greeting uh, in that it's really short. Uh, It's a transitional statement that our author John, Jesus' best friend, gives us. By the way, we're leapfrogging over a passage today uh, that we'll come back to in a couple weeks. There's a reason for that, but no need to explain it now. Uh, But we're looking at three little verses that's really more commentary than it is. It's not a narrative. It's an observation that John's making. It's easy to read past it, but it's kind of hard to read past it at the same time because when you read it, it can either feel like, good to see you, or it also can feel a little bit like, I'm not sure I want to be seen. Kind of can have that effect on us. It packs a pretty powerful punch. You ready? Let's do it. John 2, verses 23 to 25. John writes, when he was in Jerusalem during the Passover feast, many people believed in his name, having seen the signs he was doing. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew everything about them. He did not need someone else to testify about a person, for he knew what was in each one. So what are we after with this today? Well, I think we want to get behind it a little bit and get curious. I think the obvious question is, what is it that's causing Jesus not to entrust himself to people, John tells us, are believing? What is that? But I think we also want to, want to bring the commentary into our room, into our community, and let it address us. Let John say something to us. What is Jesus seeing in you, in us, in me? Then do we want to be seen and, and how? I mean, Those are the kinds of questions that emerge for me. See, we we long to be seen. Last week, Dave covered some people that Jesus saw. You know, he had uh, the two guys. uh, It's escaping me at the moment. I think think Andrew maybe, but uh, Jesus turns around and says, what do you guys want? Where are you staying, Lord? Follow me where I go. He sees them. Andrew gets his brother Peter, introduces him to Jesus, and Jesus sees him. All right. Hey, you're Cephas. I'm changing your name to Rocky from this point forward. I'm calling you Rocky. Like it or not. You understand more later why, he says, without saying it. He sees Nathaniel and goes, oh man, That dude right there, there ain't nothing false in him. He sees, and so Nathaniel's really taken back, like, how do you know me, Lord? Sees him. So we we long for that 
to be seen, don't, don't we? We want, you ever feel like you're, you're invisible? You ever feel that way, anybody? Like, I'm not really getting looked at here. But we're also a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> with really being seen, maybe, sometimes. Probably depends on how we're doing in that moment or what we're doing. Many people, John says, are believed name. But Jesus would not everything about them. He knows what's in each person. John says it very straightforwardly. It's not really confusing to understand what he's trying to get at. Jesus knows the nature and the quality of these people's, in this case, their faith. So let's stay curious for a minute. How does Jesus know this? And, and how does John know this? Did Jesus tell him, hey, don't get too excited right now, guys. I'm telling you, these people aren't really with us. Did God's Spirit reveal it to him as kind of time went on before John writes? Or was John so close to Jesus that over time, like, I can tell Jesus is not buying this. Not the main point, just something to get curious about. Jesus, inside and out, knows these people. He knows their histories. He knows where they've come from. They know where they are right now. They know where they're going. They know, they know what's in them that longs to be seen. He knows what's in them that I'm not sure I want anybody to see that. He knows that the gift uh, that's in them that they really want the world to see, they, they want to express. He knows what they want to conceal. He knows all that. So question for a moment, like how's that landing with you? Is that encouraging to you? Does that like inspire you towards Jesus? Or does it give you pause? Many people, John reports, had believed in Jesus' name. They'd, and then he adds a note. They had seen the signs Jesus has been doing. But, and there's, there's a big but here. John adds the comment. He wedges it in there. Jesus is not entrusting himself to them. Actually, the original language reads like this. It's rather disturbing. Many people were believing in Jesus, but he wasn't believing in them. That's the literal translation. Same verb, both phrases. Believe. It's a word play, English majors. It's a word play. And then Jesus adds a personal pronoun that kind of tweaks the shade of the meaning, I think, a little bit, just with the word himself. But Jesus himself was not believing in them. And so most, that's probably your Bible, most translations don't translate that second word belief to believe, they translate it to entrust. And I think it's fair, I think it's a good translation, that personal pronoun now kind of makes it real personal for Jesus. Like he's, this is an intuition, he's, he's seeing, he's discerning something really deep. Jesus was not entrusting himself to everyone who was believing in his name. That's the, that's the question that we wrestle with today. I don't know that we can answer the question exhaustively, why isn't Jesus entrusting himself 
to him. That may be a bit above our pay grade, honestly. Why isn't he? But we've got to wrestle with it. We've got to consider it. What John adds, again, he's, they're believing because they've seen the signs. Maybe there's a cue for us right there. It's an interesting addition because they've seen the signs. Well, that's, that's also confusing to me because like, I thought that was the point of the signs. John makes it pretty explicitly clear the signs of Jesus are there so that people would believe. But now, he's he's saying they've seen the signs, but they're not believing. Or they are believing, but maybe not really. I think John wants us to see the signs, but there's a nuance with signs, right? Like, signs aren't the thing. Like, if you're driving to Denver on, stay with me for a minute, I'll just get cloudy, I'll try to clear it up here. If you're driving to Denver on I-70, and you see a sign, Denver 148, you know, you probably don't stop and take a picture of that, you know. You want to go to Denver. When you get to Denver, you might stop at the Welcome to Denver sign and take a picture. We're in Denver. But you don't really, oh, when you see the Denver 148, That's a sign that's saying, hey, if you're wanting to get to Denver, you're going the right way. And if you're driving, it's going to take you, you're going to be there in a couple hours, probably, depending on what you're driving and how old you are. (laughs) If if you're riding your bike and you're driving on I-70, you're not very intelligent, but you're going to get there a little bit later. If you're walking or if you're one of those crazy people and you're running, And it'll be a little bit after the bike, hopefully. But keep going this way. We're pointing to Denver. It's that way. Keep going. That's the sign. So for John, the signs are pointing. They're not the thing. They're pointing to Jesus. Maybe that's what's at least partly at play here. I think the signs for John are to drive us to ask, what's the thing? More explicitly, who's Jesus? He's doing these things. Who is this? Man. Who is he? Evidently, these folks are seeing the signs and missing the thing. They're missing the point. Maybe there's been so wild by the sign, they've seen Jesus turn water into wine that we looked at a few weeks ago in church at home. Maybe they've seen Jesus like swell up in the temple and deal with corrupt leaders in the temple. And they're like emboldened themselves. They're excited. They're saying, I want in on this action. This is what I want. I want to grab some of that. But Jesus has seen that response, whatever it is, and he's saying, wait a minute. Something's lacking there. He's seen something that's there or something that's not there and is troubling to him, troubling in a big way, not just in a like, like you got to tweak this, bro. This is like, this isn't working. You're not coming in. You're not being seen. You're not coming into the presence of God in a way that you long for. I'm not buying it. Maybe they're trying to grab power with it. 
I want what Jesus has got so I can like lord it over other people, be important, be significant, matter. Maybe there's like a desire for healing, but that somehow that desire, it's not a, that's not a bad desire, right? To want to be healed. We see people all the time wanting to touch him, want, begging him, wanting to, please heal my son, my daughter. We see that. But maybe there's something in there that's just about them. They're somehow missing the deeper thing about Jesus. And it's making this belief not credible, not legitimate, not authentic. There's something on the surface only. Do you know John uses the word believe, belief 98 times in his gospel? That's a whole lot. 98 times. But math may how many times he uses it? It's about how he uses it. It's how strategically he uses it. Like in the first chapter in that prologue, he's, he's talking about how his own people's rejected him. But then he says, but those who received him, who believed on his name, who believed on his name, to them he gave the right to become what? You know it? children of God. Man, that's the best news I can imagine. To those who received him, who were seen by him and said, Lord, see me. He uses it at the end of his gospel where he says, I have written all this so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, even believing is not the end, it's life. So that you might have life. He also uses believe in the kind of the, a pivotal middle of the book. It's similar to what's being said here, but different, John writes. Even after Jesus had performed many signs in their presence, they still would not believe. But here is the troubling comment about faith that lacks. People are believing in his name, but it's not a belief that Jesus is saying, good to see that. There's not this good to see you-ness in it. For these people, faith is lacking some quality. That is a matter of life and death for them. So does the question matter? I'll let you answer that. I want to link for a moment with you. I've been meditating this week, not really purposefully for this sermon. It just kind of emerged that way. But I've been meditating on a psalm. Psalm 32. We're going to show it here. But I think it, has, it addresses, not directly... Perhaps indirectly, but I think it has something to say to our question. And I want us to hear it because this is such a critically important question. It's a deeply personal question. God, is my faith adequate? Is, that, is it what you're welcoming? It's the difference between belief that brings me into life with God and some kind of belief that doesn't. So Psalm 32 we're not going to like completely break this text down. 
but we'll spend a few minutes with it here and let it speak to us. Psalm 32 begins this way, blessed is the one, one of the translators I read, it translated it, good fortune comes, I like that, good fortune comes to those, the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, good fortune comes, or blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. I mean, that right there is enough to marinate in for a moment. No matter what you might be dealing with, no matter what you might be struggling with, wrestling with, going on in your life, the simple question is, can you say this? You find yourself in this place. Good fortune has come to me because my sins have been covered. My transgressions are forgiven. I hope you can say that. Then there's a surprise a little bit in the text here. There's an and. You see it? And who's what? Spirit has no deceit. There's a surprise. Deceit. In this text, that's, what, that's what's keeping one from God. Pretense. Appearing to believe while refusing to truly believe and trust. God doesn't buy it. Jesus sees it. He can't be duped. But the psalmist is linking these things. One whose sin is covered and whose spirit has no deceit in it. He's not claiming the person, I don't believe the person is flawless. Or that it's never been deceitful their whole life, so you don't have to go there. But he's saying, in whose spirit there's not this pretentious quality. Let's read on. He says something really interesting that sheds a little more light. He says, when I kept silent, he's reflecting now. Silent about what? Read on. He's going to tell us. When I kept silent, it it affected my body. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, that's the operative word here, then I acknowledged my sin, he says. I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. This is a person with no deceit. Maybe they had deceit, but no longer. I said, I will confess my transgressions before the Lord. And then hear the beauty of the next phrase. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Man, there it is right there. No deceit. No pretense as you are before Jesus, as he is. As you are in the presence of holy God, as he is. I think that's what it's getting at. Man, if you, 
I think John and the psalmist is saying, you can do that. You have won the lottery. That movement, that authentic place, that honestly courageous place, as I am, Lord, with my brokenness, with my sin, with my weakness, my incompleteness, before you, Lord, as you are. Deal with me as I am, as you are. That's an incredibly vulnerable place to be when you understand it. And it should make you shiver as it has many people when they understand it. As you are before him as he is. For Jesus and the cross, this would be the worst possible news we could hear. Be the worst possible experience you could have as you are before him as he is. But he became as you are. That's the good news of Jesus. He became as you are, not sinful, plead in his flesh. He clothed himself with that so that we might be able to stand and find his life, share in that life, know that life, live in that life. The short word for all those words is new creation. That's what Paul says. If anyone's in Christ, zippity-doo-dah, it's a new thing. It is a new creation. I want you to listen to the joy and the optimism in the psalm as it carries itself along. Therefore, he says, let all the faithful pray to you. Those who have come into the presence of God as you are and have met that God that's there in Jesus. Let all them pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. He's not saying there's not going to be any mighty waters. He said they're, they're not going to take you down. They may be there. They may be under your chin at times. They will not take you. You, he says, are my hiding place. He kind of switches metaphors now. He's confessing this as I amness. I'm be, I've been seen, I've been found out as I am in the presence, not just of a holy God, because yeah, you don't get to delete that one, but as a loving Savior. Who could do that but Jesus? Who could be holy God and loving Savior all at the same time? Jesus did. Jesus is... You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And then I think in verses 9 and 10, best I can tell, or 8 and, eight and 9 and 10, I think this is the Lord's voice talking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving, get this, with my loving eye on you. That's his promise to the one who's come to him as they are. 
and trusting him as he is. This is what Jesus is looking for in these people who are believing. I'm not needing you to impress me. I'm not, I'm not asking you to have great faith. I'm just asking you to have real faith as you are. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not asking you to clean up your act. I'm not asking you to read a lot of books. I'm asking you to be, get honest and to be your true self before me and let me make a new self in you. So he starts saying, hey, I will instruct you. This is the commitment of God. I'll teach you the way you should go. If you're going through some stuff right now, that ought to be ringing in your ear so beautifully. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my loving eye on you. Take comfort. But don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by Britain. By bit and bridle. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Like I said, we're not, we can't break all that down, but there it is. There's this person who's come to God, this legitimate faith without pretense that doesn't have deceit in it. Not looking for a grab, looking to come to honestly before the Lord. And then finally, the writer can't help it. Rejoice in the Lord, he says. Be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. That's just another way of saying without pretense, without deceit. I, I don't think this, this truth that we're trying to touch here is about just coming into the kingdom. I think it's how we live in the kingdom. Does that land with you? This is how we are to be with God in our everydayness of our lives as we are in the presence of a holy God who has his loving eye on us. And just, and just like it was when we enter and that necessary entrance is there, Jesus is going to deal with Nicodemus next week. It happen. It's necessary. You don't ooze your way. in without knowing it but we have to continue to live just the way we came in God I know I'm not fooling anybody this is me as I am with my still some of the same brokenness and incompleteness that plagued me when I came in here I am I think Jesus hears that and sees that and says, nice to see you. And something wells up in us that says, it's good to be seen. It's good to be loved, isn't it? Well, let's see if we can put an end to this. <laughs> Put a bow on this. Because I, I, I don't want this to be cloudy. I want to make just a couple of statements and try to sum this up and then with a, with a challenge or a charge or whatever you want to call it. Two things. One, 
As best I can tell, these reflect the biblical witness. Number one, believing in Jesus is not at its necessary essence trying only about to grab what Jesus has done for you. That sounds a little bit heretical, doesn't it? And yes, stay with me for a minute. It feels a little bit heretical saying it. I don't think it is. It's about what, or it's not about what he hope, you hope he'll do for you. Stay with me. It's about how we receive what he's done for us. It's about who Jesus becomes to you. I think that's the belief Jesus is looking for. Another way to say maybe the same thing as the second one. Believing in Jesus can't be only about getting excited about him. That's the whole thing with the signs. Nor can believing in Jesus be only about believing data about him. We call it doctrine sometimes. Of course, those things are part of the mix. But it must involve, in a very conscious way, coming to Him as you are. Coming to Him as He is. Coming before Him as He is. And who is He? He's God. He's Savior. He's Lord. If you are unsure about what those words mean, please talk to me after or someone you're with. He's God. He's Savior. He's Lord. That's the confession he's looking for. And that's not data. That's personal. He's God who became man. He's God who lived a thoroughly sinless and righteous life. He's God who teaches us how to live by abiding and sharing in His life. He's God who gave His life in love that we might be reconciled, that we might have atonement, become one in and with Him, that we might confess who we are Sinful, broken, unrighteous. And confess our trust in Him. You are my Savior and I receive that. You are my Lord and I surrender to that. He died on the cross and He rose to life. And He calls us to take up ourselves. That, that is a way. of saying I'm dying to the center of this me that wants to make my life about me that's the faith Jesus maybe is seeing and going not today something else has got to happen in you it's not about you it's not about me there's this crisis of belief that has to happen will I follow him with my life Before him as he is. That's the essential component of faith as best as I can articulate it. Maybe you can do it more clearly, and that's great. But this is deeply, deeply personal. 
It's what John's addressing. Who is Jesus to you? The Jesus that knows you, that knows everything about you? Inside and out. But the Jesus who is off. For you, so you can have his life. I think that's what's wrapped up in this little transitional commentary. Last slide up there is just a couple questions for us. The dark half on the top is what we've been saying. The important part is the white for you today. Are you willing to come to him as you are? You don't get in without that. But more importantly, will you see him as he is? Because it's not about as you are. It's about who he is. And if those two things converge, then he's gonna, you're going to hear his voice over and over in your life. So it's so good to see you. Sometimes it's like, hey, where you been? Good to have you back. But you become his, and you belong to him. And no one can pry that apart. So which will it be for you? I think that's the question of the gospel. Let me pray for us. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Uh, Lord, we're given this little statement. Jesus, people are believing you, but he's not buying it. And it sort of can be troubling to our souls. Am I one of those? And Lord, we, we can like open that little door to all kinds of lies and false voices. We know we have an accuser that loves to remind us how screwed up we are, how broken we are. But the, the interesting thing is that's not what the Lord's looking for. He already knows that. And that hasn't chased him away. In fact, it's drawn him in. Our Savior. And says, I see that. I see that sinful, broken incompleteness. I see how that separated you from coming into my presence. It's kept you away. But I want you to know I have stood for you. I have prayed for you. I've bled and died for you. I've resurrected on your behalf. But you have to come to me just as you are. Because you can't fool me. And I want to shape you in the kind of a person who's not just in the moment has no deceit, but like is learning and living in that way. With Jesus as I am. With him as he is. To the point that I start living in that, abiding in it. It becomes so treasured and joy-filled to me. Lord, thank you for that vision for our lives. We long for that too. 
make it a lifestyle for us. Lord, we pray for someone in this room right now that's not yet entered. Maybe they thought they had to get cleaned up first. Maybe they look at some of the people in this room and think, boy, I could never be that holy and that good. And, and they believed that lie. Lord, you are looking for people who know they're broken, who know how deeply they've messed things up, and say, come to me as you are. Receive me as I am. You don't have to be afraid, because I love you. It cast out fear. Give us the courage to receive that, to be seen by that, and the willingness to see it. Lord, whether we're hearing this for the first time or the thousandth time, quicken in us that response. I'm with you as I am. I'm with you as you are. That's our plea this morning. Just as I am without it for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come just as I am thou wilt receive wilt welcome pardon cleanse relief because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I'm going to call you to courage this morning. <clears throat> God, God sees you as you are. So this isn't for us to see you. This is for God, and this is between God and you. But I'm going to ask if you have been spoken to this morning, and you need to come to God as you are, and you need to boldly say, I'm coming to you as I am, before you are, I'm asking you. Any of us? Someone you're sitting to, next to. It doesn't have to be us. But I'm going to call you to courage this morning to stand and acknowledge who you are before the Lord in this community. <clears throat> it's not an easy thing, but it gives life when we come to him that way. I'll let these guys keep singing and this is your time.